as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. This is the word of the Lord. Even though the book of Job had been written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, you can see that the old debate raged on. Is everyone who suffers suffering because he or she or someone else in their family has done something wrong? Every time Jesus was asked a question of that type in any of the four Gospels, he always quickly says, absolutely not Bad things happen to bad people, but equally bad things happen to good people. Do not judge. You do not know enough to judge. So John gets on with the point of the story as he sees it. I've underlined four things for you to think about as you wait your time to come to the table. The first point is Jesus saw a man who had been blind since birth. Many of you like to sing the Hymn of Promise, written by Natalie Sleaf. I've told you that Natalie Sleaf's husband was one of my professors at Perkins School of Theology, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. I took every course that Dr. Ronald Sleaf taught because I was so blessed by every course he taught. One of those courses was called Great Preaching Through the Centuries. Sermons that we still have from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, all the way through the 20th centuries we studied. Who was the greatest preacher of the 4th century, the 9th century, and so on? One of those who preached a sermon on this text all those many centuries ago was Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a Greek. He was a Greek bishop, the Bishop of Lyons. And in his sermon on this passage, he said, since most of us are not physically blind, let's not dismiss this story without seeing the real message here. The Pharisees who thought they were seeing, Jesus said, were blind. The man whom they all knew to be blind was made to see. So for you and me, think Genesis, Irenaeus said. We believe Irenaeus was born almost exactly a hundred years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Scholars, best they can determine, he was born about the year 130, and he lived about 72 years. We think he died in the year 202. So he was not an eyewitness of Jesus, of course, but he was an early, great, great 
preacher and teacher, and he said, think Genesis, think Adam and Eve, think fall of humankind, think sin. Sin, since we were born. Dr. Richard Niebuhr, many years ago, called, uh, wrote a book called The Nature of Revelation. And in that book he said, every one of us is born into a sinful world. Even if we are blessed with a good mother and a good father, uh, there are distorted values all around us so that by the time we get big enough to make good decisions, we're making misinformed decisions. Our vision of truth and beauty and joy, meaning, purpose, all have been distorted. And it's only when we get big enough to ask sincerely two questions that our vision improves. He said, what does it mean to trust God in this moment of my life? What does it mean for me to put myself out for the well-being of another? And when we ask those two questions with all of our hearts, Dr. Niebuhr says God begins to focus our eyes. But without it, we are blind. Janice Henson wrote about a day, sort of like the one we had yesterday, a little bit later in the spring. She said she was in a city park enjoying the beautiful sunshine, the blooming of the plants, when she saw two young teenage girls, and one of them pulled a daisy out of a flower bed in the park. And the two of them sat down on a quilt nearby and giggling started pulling one petal out after the other, doing the old, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, and giggling. And Janice says, I hope they will grow up and mature and learn that love is not such does, doesn't, does, doesn't, does, doesn't. And then she wrote, but that's the way I treat God. If it's sun is shining when I want to be in the park, I think God loves me. If it's icy and cold, I think God doesn't love me. If I'm feeling terrific, I think God loves me. If I or someone I know is ill, I'm afraid God doesn't love me. When will I come to that moment in my life when no matter what, I know God loves me? Well, that's the moment you really see. And until then, we are blind. Number two, Jesus saw this man. He spat on the ground and he began to move this spittle around and to make a mud pie, if you would. And he took this little bit of mud and put it on the man's eyes. Irenaeus says, think Genesis. Think Genesis. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was darkness. There was chaos. God spoke and there was light and there was order. And then one morning when God had everything else created, he went out onto the plain. And when the dew had settled in the dust, God molded, flopped this little mass down on a spinning wheel. Uh, it really is the language in Hebrew. Like a potter to wheel, God began to treadle and the little wheel went round and round. And God fashioned a little man took a deep breath, puffed into him his own ruach, and this little man jumped down off the wheel and began to dance and sing. 
And God said, oh, that was fun. And so he made something else and asked the little man to name it. And he said, that's an elephant. Good. And he made something else and asked the little man. He said, giraffe. Good. And he named something else. And well, that's the way the ancient poet described it in Genesis. And Irenaeus says, think Genesis. If God could scoop up moist earth and make humans, God can scoop up moist earth and remake Remake humans, you, me, Arthur Gordon. Remember that name? Remember when Dr. John Claypool was with us as our Barton Clinton Gordy presenter? He told you a wonderful story about Arthur Gordon, about a very depressing time in his life when all he could think about was if only, if only, if only. He had taken too long going to school, continuing to go to school. The young woman he loved better than life itself had decided she couldn't wait for him. Eventually married someone else. And his whole, if only. And then someone helped him see that that's not the way to live. One lives next time. Next time. He wrote about going to Hawaii. Seeing the magnificent waves and deciding he wanted to learn how to surf. All those people out there seemed to be having such a great time, so he walked over to a little booth on the beach and said, I'd like to hire someone to teach me how to surf. And they said, great. They pointed out a very handsome young man and said, he will help you. So he had to get a proper uh, surfboard, and they started out. First, he had to learn to sit on the thing. Then he had to learn to paddle to get out closer to the, where the waves were breaking. Eventually... His instructor got him up on the board. He was standing. He said, when I was sitting again and paddling like crazy, I was down in one of those deep troughs, and wow, that wave looked like a mountain coming toward me. Another time, he said, I had paddled up onto the crest at just the right moment when it was starting to break, and suddenly this wave was going away from me like I imagine an avalanche of snow. It was scary. But this young man who was instructing kept helping me. Paddle, 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 stand up. Paddle, paddle, stand up. And at one point he said, I was at the right place at the right time. And I screamed out to him, what's the most important thing to remember? And he said, don't look back. (laughs) And so Arthur Gordon had another moment in his life where he believed God was saying to him, Do not live, if only, if only. Live next time, next time. When you come to the table today and you confess, whatever you confess, you leave with the Lord and you move to next time in your life. Number three, the man on whose eyes he put this mud pack was told to go. And we even are told what the word was, saloam, and that it means sent. So it means Jesus was sent by God and that he sends us. And those who go, he will, in fact, reveal himself. Dr. Albert Schweitzer said, in the ineffable mysteries of life as to who he truly is. You have to go. Monday, Tuesday, Dr. Bill Kroll and I were out at Canyon Camp in a spiritual retreat with our bishop, Robert Hayes. Other members of our staff will be going in the next few weeks. 
He has a series of retreats that he's having for all the Methodist preachers in Oklahoma. And you're supposed to pick the one that works best for you and sign up and go spend these two days out at Canyon Camp with our bishop. The resource person that he had this week was Dr. David Watson. He's now retired, lives in Tennessee. But some years ago, he was one of our professors at Perkins School of Theology, SMU Dallas. And he was reminding all of us in this retreat about spiritual formation, about the general rules that Mr. Wesley sent over to the colonies when the first Methodists came over. The rules of order, the rules for living, the general rules, he called them. And he listed them one, two, three, four. Now, you need to know that David Watson is an Englishman himself. He was born and grew up in Kensington upon Tynes. That's a beautiful place. I remember one time when Gail and Jason and I, Trey, were having lunch at Kensington upon Tynes, and the restaurant looked right down onto the river, and there were people rowing on the river, the sleek little skulls that they row, and some were single person, and some were duels, and some were four persons, and they were zipping up and down that river. It was beautiful while we ate, and then just after lunch, we went on down the road just away to Durham, one of the most beautiful cathedrals of all England, I think, is in Durham. Well, that's where Dr. Watson grew up, Kensington-upon-Tynes. He went to, Can to Oxford University, and at Oxford he said he resolved that he was going to get up early every morning and jog around the meadow of Christ College, where the Wesleys had gone 300 years before. And so every morning before daylight, he made himself get up and run around the meadow of Christ College, Oxford, where the Wesleys once had walked and discussed he then came to this country to do his graduate work at Duke University, received a master's and a doctoral degree at Duke, and came to teach at our Perkins School of Theology, SMU. He considers himself a real English Methodist, and so he was reminding us what Mr. Wesley said. All are supposed to do acts of compassion, and Wesley defined these as any kind thing we do for a person in need. Our neighbor is a person who needs and when we do an act of kindness for such a person, we are doing the will of God. Second, we're to do acts of justice. If we've just helped someone who was hungry, we're supposed to ask, why is there a hungry person in the United States of America? If you are mentoring a child at Burroughs Elementary School because this child is behind, you should next ask, why is this child behind? Why is this fifth grader not doing fifth grade work? What happened to her, to him? What should have happened that didn't happen? How can we make that better? Those are acts of justice. And then you do acts of worship, which means coming together with people like this, opening God's all-important book, singing from the hymn book, offering our prayers. And the fourth, acts of devotion. And these are private times when one reads one's own Bible, when one says one's own prayers. But Mr. Wesley was emphatic that you do these things in the order he suggested. That is, you do acts of compassion. You do acts of justice. And they will lead you to worship and to seek the presence of God. Do what you're told. Go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. He went, washed his eyes in the pool of Siloam, and he could see. Number four. Four times... In this chapter, the man is asked, who did this? I didn't read the whole chapter with you, but I've read the whole chapter. And I can tell you what he answered. The first time he was asked, who did this 
for you, if in fact you are the one we've seen begging here all these years. And he said, the man, Jesus. The next time a second group came and asked him, he said, the prophet. The third time he was asked, who did this for you? This man is not of God. And he said, if he was not a man of God, could he have done this good thing? In effect, saying, I believe he is a man of God. And in the fourth instance, right near the end of the chapter, Jesus himself comes back looking for the man. He's heard that they've put him out of the city. They don't know what to do with a man who can see. This poor guy who's blind, they know how to deal with him. But a whole person who can see, they're not sure how to deal with him. So they put him out. And Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The one speaking to you is he. And the man said, Lord, I believe. John's chapter 9 says that most of them didn't get it. Just a few got it. But Jesus kept telling the stories one after another, one after another, all of them about the kingdom of God, all about what could be. Just kept on telling, kept on telling. And here we are more than 2,000 years down the road, and we are still a minority in this world. We who are worshiping in Tulsa today are a minority of the people who live in Tulsa. Far more than 50% are not in any church this morning. Do you ever get discouraged? Sometimes I get discouraged. Why isn't someone in that seat? Why isn't someone in that seat down there? I know it's spring break. There are enough people who didn't go anywhere on spring break to fill that seat. Where is she? Where is he? It's discouraging. But Jesus kept on telling the stories, kept on telling the stories. He was sent, Siloam, sent of God, and he was there to do what God had told him, no matter whether they got it or they didn't. One more, Dr. David Watson's story. While he was in Dallas, uh, he and his wife, their little boy was growing up, and he got to be 14 one summer, and they thought he had far too much time on his hands, he needed a job. So they just kept insisting, insisting that he find a job, and the one that he found was throwing the Dallas Morning News. He had barely signed the contract that he would, in fact, throw these newspapers all summer long, when with a smile on his face, he said to his mother and father, you know the first two weeks I'm supposed to be at the Methodist camp. And they, in fact, wanted him to go to that camp. They had planned on it for several months that he would be in that Methodist camp the first two weeks in the summer and so Dr. Watson said, what did we do? We threw his papers for him the first two weeks. And he said, it was an experience I will never forget. Dallas at four o'clock in the morning is not a friendly place, he said. We had to get up every morning to throw papers at four o'clock. Those rubber bands, he said, I never quite got those right. And if the weather was threatening, you have to put them in a plastic bag and then throw them, he said, I threw one up on a guy's porch one day. I mean, on the roof of the porch, he said, I wasn't very good at that. But what really got me was going on to work, starting home at five o'clock and seeing some of those papers still in the yard. After I had seen several of those, one afternoon I pulled over beside the curb and I really wanted to get out of my car, go pick up that newspaper, ring the doorbell and say, if I can get up at four o'clock in the morning and throw it, you can certainly get up and read the bloody thing, he said. And then I realized 
that my job description had nothing in it about when they read or if ever they read. My job was just throw more papers, just keep throwing the papers. <laughs>